0: We're gonna swim bike and run in the corner sun. We're gonna swim bike and run in the corner sun
1: 2021. Thank you, Pancho Man. Welcome everybody back to Brexit Bob, not quite Kona edition. My name is Bob Babbitt. We are brought to you by Clash USA. You can hope on on a Velofix Norma Tech Canyon bikes, and of course. Our Challenged Athletes Foundation, we just sent out 3,038 grants, totaling $5.1 million to keep Challenged Athletes in the game alive through sport. Our next guest, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo himself, Sam Malong, joins us from his palatial estate somewhere hidden in the Southwest. How you doing, Sam the man?
0: Yo-Yo-Yo, Bob. What's going on, man? And, and that's terrific, $5.1 million raised for Challenged Athletes. That's, that's-, that's great news.
1: Yeah, actually, we've, we we uh, last week in New York we raised one point one million at a at a party, and then wow. last night we raised probably a couple hundred thousand up in San Francisco. So it's one hundred and thirty six million we've raised now in twenty seven years. So it's okay. uh, pretty amazing. Yeah, really, really good stuff. So first of all, I, I gotta we haven't chatted uh, since St. George, and after covering runners for years and years and years, here you are racing your idol. You are racing Lionel. And if you're a runner and you come up behind the guy, you sit on him. You don't go side by
0: side. I know.
1: <laughs> what, did, what did Ryan Bolton say to you afterwards?
0: You know, I mean, yeah, he's like, you just need more experience. And he's like, if you had another year of racing and tight races, you would have won that race. And he's like, I mean, it wasn't fitness. And the thing is, I don't regret it, though, because it was. Oh, it's great made. television yeah I guess yeah it was great television but to me to go up against Lionel like I didn't want to do it in some way where I outsmarted him or outmaneuvered him like I wanted to do it like man to man and like just like you know wear each other down and then the better man wins and um and that's pretty much what we did um I mean I guess it would have been good to play a bit more tactical but uh I actually thought I would run right past him when I came past because I was running so much faster on the downhill but then in true Lionel fashion, he just rose right to the occasion and stepped it up.
1: The other thing that has to be confusing when you've got Daniel Bakkegaard out there, you know, running side by side with Lionel and you guys have no idea that he's been DQ'd and he's out of the race. And, you know, I I've talked to Daniel and either it doesn't really matter why, but the fact that he's there, how does that, you don't know. So it, it's, Really, the guy should not have been there, right? He should have been taken off the course so that you know that whoever you're racing with is legitimately in the race.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, I like Daniel quite a bit. And, and
1: I do, too. I think Daniel's and, awesome.
0: Exactly. And I don't, the penalty yeah. was deserved or not is a different question. But once you've got the penalty, like we can't allow people who have a penalty to be up running at the front of a race. Um, no. No matter who it is, whether it's Jan Frodeno or Lionel Sanders or myself because it completely changes the race. And I remember, because I got dropped on, a little, on the final uphill with about four miles to go before I caught back up. And, and when they dropped me, he get, Daniel went and gave a fist bump to Lionel. Um, and so I thought, of course, I thought this guy's in the race. And it actually egged me on, because I thought they thought, oh, Sam's Sam's out of the race. And, oh, we got right. him. And I was like, well, I'm not out of the race. You're, you guys are going to see me again. And uh, it definitely impacted the race. Um and I mean, I think it gave Lionel someone to push when I was struggling a bit um, on some of those uphills. And it's hard to say if Lionel had ran, you know, fifteen seconds slower on those uphills, then I might have been able to blow right past him on those on, on, on especially the steep downhill that I ran a lot faster. So you know, we'll never yeah. know. Um, yeah, some that's weird At that race, yeah.
1: So when you look back and you go, I think the first time you were in that race was 2015, something like that, 16. Uh, yeah,
0: as a, a pro, injury, yep, as a pro,
1: as a pro. As a pro. And you were 33 minutes back of Lyon? Yep. <laughs> and here you are side by side a number of years later running with a guy who you idolized. Uh, how special was that? Just with the people screaming and cameras. And it's one thing to do this when nobody's there. But this is the spotlight of the sport was on you guys. And this is what everybody wanted. And this is what everybody got.
0: Yeah, exactly, and especially at that course, right? Because it's an out and back, and because of the timing, pretty much all of the age troopers are starting, and they're in those first three miles as we're running down. So, all the age troopers—not all, but probably seventy-five percent—they're literally stopping their race, like they stop running to look at us and and either cheer us on. They say, you know, "No limits" or "Go, Lionel," or they're like, "Yo, yo, yo!" And um, I mean, it was just, yeah, it was totally amazing, and especially after kind of all the hype me and Lyle had, had you know, on Mount Lemmon and, and even leading into Daytona. And, and from my side, I, I've gotten a lot of messages like, oh, you'll never be Lionel's match. You're ne- you'll never be as equal. Like, why do you even try and challenge him? You're nowhere near the athlete as him. And so it was like in, in my heart and head, I always knew I was. And, and this, I think, definitely proves that.
1: So it's funny. I've got photos all over this house of obviously Iron War with Dave Scott and Mark Allen. It was the same type of thing. People were stopping and looking. But as you're running down that hill and you're seeing these guys coming up five, six years ago, that was you,
0: right? It, well, exactly. It was literally me. Like I saw Lionel, I actually saw Lionel on pretty much the exact spot I caught him and we ran stride for stride. Right at the bottom of that hill is where I caught him. Yeah. And I remember six years ago was exactly where I saw him. Um, and I think that year it was actually out. Ale- no, it was him and Sebi, basically my two favorite athletes, right? And Sebi was just behind and Lionel was just ahead. And it was like, so then to be in that same situation was just amazing.
1: And when you lose a race like that, it's still a total pump because you're, if someone told you beforehand, you're going to lose by five seconds. And, but it's going to be to Lionel. And it's going to be the, one of the greatest races in the history of the sport. Uh, I'm guessing you would have taken that.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean. Really, it couldn't have gone better. Uh, of course, I wish I would have won, but uh, it, a close race like that—I mean, it's better than if if Lionel had won by three minutes or i had won by three minutes. Nobody would, yeah. nobody—it it wouldn't have had the same impact, and also it wouldn't have tested the limits to the same way as like. I mean, we're running some 5 minute miles those full those last three miles. I mean, we were just absolutely working it.
1: <laughs> well, now did, did uh, Lionel say something
0: to you? Was you got guys, guys were coming down the hill? Yeah, yeah, he did. So he, he, he looks over at me and he goes, he's like, what the heck, man? You're the fan favorite. Everyone's cheering for you. And I just looked at him and I laughed and I said, and I was like, oh, that's not true, man. You're Lionel Sanders. Everyone's cheering for you. And, and I think what it was, we both had like, you know, like horses. we had the blinders on and we were looking for any edge to get us motivated. So I was really only hearing his cheers. I was like, oh, everyone's cheering for Lionel and oh, everyone's rooting for him. And I'm going to show them wrong. And then I think he had the same thing going on and was only hearing the people cheer for me.
1: So when you have a race like that, and that's basically the 1st of May, and then you bounce right back and, and go to Tulsa. Uh, the emotional, spiritual, physical drain of a race like that, it takes a while to recover from. Uh, yeah. was, did, you, did you question? Because you didn't need to go to Tulsa. You're already, you're already qualified for Kona. Right. So was yep. it was that a tough decision to go anyways? Because you've got guys who are going to Tulsa trying to get to Kona. So they've got more motivation going on and you're coming off of an epic race. Really? 20, what? 22 days later. That, that had to be hard to dig, the, to dig that deep again.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, looking back, it, it might've been a mistake. And of course we couldn't have predicted that St. George would have gone the way it had um, right. had it been, you know, basically any other situation and oh even if I got second but it was a minute behind um or one but it was a minute ahead I don't think the race would have taken yeah that spiritual and mental toll and um it was hard for me after St. George to like get back into a rhythm um I was just like I mean I wanted to enjoy the race and the celebration and because we don't get many races in, the, in our lifetimes like that um but then I was like oh get back focused and so I was kind of just torn and of course I came back to Boulder as well and it it literally rained for like three weeks straight. So I didn't see the sun for three weeks either. Mm -hmm. So it was, um, it was a lot going on. And, and yeah, I definitely actually like in the back of my head, I sort of had this voice saying like, what are you doing, doing Tulsa? Like, like it was (laughs) the plan all along, but just with that race at St. George was, it was too much of an ask. Um, the reason I'm glad I did it is because, uh Kona is three weeks after 70.3 worlds which is in St. George as well so it's mm. it's gonna be a very yeah. similar situation again um but it's left me with some big questions like I mean the biggest question is like is it actually a, an option a viable option to do 70.3 worlds this year and Kona um you know um
1: and what happened, just, you look what happened to Jan when he he went to South Africa, and they had one of the greatest races ever. He wins the thing, 70.3 Worlds, runs 106, Alistair runs 107, and uh, Javier runs 108. But then he ended up with a hip stress fracture, I think, Yeah, and was, was out of Kona. So it's those two world-class events so close together, that does make it tough.
0: Exactly, and especially the St. George course with those – the final 5k being all downhill, mm-hmm. like it just, and it's going to be hotter. It's going to be probably 95 degrees at St. George in September. So the cost is going to be bigger. So I don't know it's tough. Cause like, I love St. George and I love the course, but um, you know, I also want to show up and see Poncho man and, and be in my best form and not be at Kona with, with any doubts in my mind whatsoever. So.
1: Yeah. Well, I think we're seeing more and more guys not do 70.3 worlds before Kona, yeah. Right. I mean, Daniela did it in Nice, and she's done it obviously every year, but in Nice, and then she really didn't recover uh, and then got sick before Kona. Um, yeah,
0: exactly. And that was five weeks turnaround. I think yes. this is three. And like, even Daniela is a great example. Like, no offense to her, but I've never seen her look so bad running a marathon um, as at Tulsa, and because yes. normally she looks amazing, and and I've never seen her look so bad, and she still won the race by five minutes. But if she hadn't done St. George. I bet you would have won the race by 15 or 20 minutes.
1: No question. Yeah, I think we underestimate just the amount, the, the emotional toll and the physical toll when you're running a, a tough, tough race yeah. like that. And when you take world-class events, like Craig Alexander in 2011 won 70.3 Worlds, won Kona, and then yeah. then went won Melbourne and was forced to run like a 237, 236 to yeah. beat Cam Brown and really never could could reach deep again for the long distance races He kept in 70.3s but his Kona days of winning were pretty much were pretty much done so it's it's a fine line between too many races so you've got now you're doing Coeur d'Alene coming up yep
0: Yep.
1: so is that the thought maybe I do Coeur d'Alene and maybe not do St. George
0: that that's definitely the thought so I mean the whole the whole thought process is actually because of how Tulsa went right now I'm like oh I've got a better shot at 70.3 worlds, um, which I don't like that feeling in my mind and that thought. So I want to prove to myself that I can do an Ironman and then hopefully that can sort of give me the conviction to skip 70.3 worlds and do Kona. Um, So that, that's what I'm thinking. But also, yeah, I need to get another really good Ironman marathon run in before I go to Kona and, and, and do that because the running games elevated these days, they used to be, Geez, I mean, even three years ago, if you ran 245, it was like you're you're an absolute stud. Oh, it'd be talked about for two months. And now if you run 245, that's middle of the pack. I mean, it's insane. It's funny. I look at the top times from from Tulsa. Right. And you've got
1: 236, 239, 244, 236, 243, 246. 250, 246, 250, 232, 244, 240. Everybody is running fast. Yep. Right? Everybody, and I'm sure the shoes have something to do with it, but just the training and the racing has gotten so intense. Yeah,
0: well, let's not forget the drafting, too. I think is having a, a benefit on the road.
1: Well, talk a little bit about that because we both saw the result when you go to some a place like Daytona and it's 20-meter draft rule, and it's pure, right? People yeah. are people are time trialing. It's and even if they slip in the 18 meter, 18 uh, meter. You're
0: distance. still not getting anything. You're yeah. not getting anything.
1: But if it's 12 and people slide into eight, and nine, you're getting plenty. So yeah. it, would you like to see the Ironman at 70.3 move to 20 meters?
0: I would absolutely. I, I think it's the, the next evolution. I can see why they started at 12. I mean, one, there's a great example, right? The painted lines are 12 meters apart. So it makes it really easy from a officiating point of view. but it also used to be, we didn't have the same depth of fields. Like even at Kona, you know, you would have really three or four guys that were, that were really there to win. And now you've got so many people. We're all at such a similar level on the bike. I mean, like the Uber biker, it's kind of gone. The difference between an Uber biker and a really good biker, which is everyone is like very small. Well, it used to be, if you were an Uber biker, you would bike 15 minutes into the rest of the group, you know? And so, we're just seeing you start to get this big, long string of packs. And it's not only like, oh, it's one guy at 10 meters. It's like, what if you're the 10th guy and you're all at 10 meters? Like that 10th guy is saving like 50 or 60 watts. And it's just, uh, it's completely changing the dynamics of the race. And I mean, yeah, it's a question of if we want it to be fun like that, it maybe makes it more interesting, but it's it's definitely not in the spirit of Ironman racing and of non-draft triathlon.
1: So when you're at Tulsa and you look back behind you on the bike and you know the wattage you're pushing and there's a group of 15 guys right behind you and you you've normally would feel like they would be gone. But now yep. they're there and you know they're saving their legs for the run. And that's, that's a toughie because you don't want to be that guy dropping back. You, you yep. want to be the guy pushing away.
0: Well exactly and, and you know my my inexperience definitely showed at Tulsa with this and and the hardest thing too is that we had Patrick Lang 4 minutes up the road and yes. so I'm like really we're going to give Patrick Lang 4 minutes going into T2 does anybody here want to have a ch- shot at winning because I'm going to tell you right now if he's got 4 minutes none of us are getting close to winning this race and nobody did he he won by 5 minutes but uh you know at some point like I started looking back and saying like come on guys help me pull and And Joe Skipper and Bart Arnault did. They helped me pull, but nobody else would help pull. Um, So it actually turned into a bit of this like bike race. You know, I would pull and then Bart would come through and then Joe would come through and then we would all be like, hey, and then it would be my turn to come through again. And I'm like, what the heck? It's someone else's turn to take a pull. So then we would all sit up. We would all pedal really slow. You know, Lang would get another 30 seconds up the road. And then I'd be like, okay, well, I'm not pulling everyone. So then I would try and attack. And then we would ride really hard for like three or four minutes. And then I'd look back and see, oh, everyone's still just riding at 10 meters. So I'm like, oh, it's not going to work. All right, Joe, come on through. All right, Bart, come on through. They come, they take a short pull. And we basically repeated that for 50 or 60 miles. And our overall pace was actually pretty slow because, you know, out of maybe 10 or 15 minutes, we were only biking fast for three minutes of it.
1: What's interesting is when you have a champion, like Patrick Lange has won Ironman twice, won world championships twice. And when people start saying, oh, he can't ride the bike, I always look back at Craig Alexander, and he he didn't have to be the guy at the front of the pack, right? right. And Until the guys attacked him back in Cormac yeah. and before, when those guys attacked him, got a big eight-minute lead, and then even a 241 marathon didn't work for him. So Patrick Lange obviously knows he has to work on his bike, and when you look at what he did at Tulsa, I think it was 417, yeah. and then 236, and – being one of the top guys out of water—that's a pretty good combo. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, it's—I don't think anyone was beating Patrick on that day. Um, certainly not with how the dynamics played out. But even—even even if they had it, I mean, we would have had to bike a lot faster, and then would anyone have been able to run under a two thirty six to beat him? I don't think so. So um, th- there's no doubt he was the best man on the day.
1: So when I look at this past year. Right. It, it, and people knew of Sam along, but really your coming out party they I think Daytona when people were saying, Oh, we're you're, a lot of Euro guys were lap yeah. him, right? We're, we're gonna lap this guy. He's big mouth on social media, he's too big, he can't run. And you were up there, you know, top five for a big chunk of it, ended up in ninth, but really proved to people that you belong. And yeah. then obviously, uh uh, Seventy point three, uh, Texas getting third there, and then what you did in St. George and f- tossed Tulsa out. And, yeah,
0: exactly.
1: Yeah, uh, Ironman Florida last year with the seven fifty five, youngest American goes sub eight. You you've done so much great stuff in the last year. Has, has it surprised you how quickly that you've become one of the the biggest names in the sport? Because you're I think you're ranked what fifth in the world on a PTO and number one in the US.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean. Yeah, I suppose there have been like growing pains of a certain kind. And they haven't been growing pains on the course. I've always sort of known, oh, this is what I'm I'm capable of on the course. I, I didn't necessarily think I would achieve this by the time I have. Um, but the hardest part has been like, yeah, just really growing. I, I hate to call it a brand, but like growing and, and then being all of a sudden in the limelight all the time and having eyes. And, and like, it's even been unusual for me because just a year ago, I'd show up at a race. And, and nobody would be saying, oh, hey, go, get, you know, go win the race, Sam. Or, oh, what's going on? I mean, I might get one guy right. at, a, at a race, one fan that comes up to me. And now it's like I can't even walk around, basically. And so, so learning to adapt that and, and the energy required from that standpoint has been a big, big component for me um, and, and, and how to deal with it, especially like in the week leading into a race.
1: You know, it's fascinating. I remember interviewing Craig Alexander once after he had, you know, won one Ironman, and I said, to "Craig, is it is it hard when you come here, at Kona Week? You're, you know, you're defending champion." He goes, "But that's why we do what we do. I want that attention because right. that's how I pay back all my sponsors who've been with me right. forever." Right. So it's 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 dealing with it and planning for it because now yeah. you know it's happening and it's it is when it first happens, you're like, "Oh my God, I can't walk a block," but yeah now that you know it's going to happen you allow more time to get to different things because that's exactly what's going and,
0: and really Tulsa I mean there was some at St. George but really Tulsa was like a whole nother level and, and and it's just remembering that that's now the situation i'm i'm in and it's a totally good thing and i actually love it because you know seeing people it, it gives me energy and it pumps that's me true. up and it, and it makes me feel good um and, and i love talking to people but it's now like oh instead of allotting you know, 15 minutes to check my bike. I need to allot an hour and a half to check my bike in yes. um, and, and just building that into the day. And then, I mean, also then working with, you know, coach Ryan from a training standpoint, like, Oh, you know, in the two or three days leading into a race, I can't train for three or four hours because I'm on my feet now talking to people for a lot. And, and again, it's, it's, it's a great part to have achieved that and to give back, but I just have to, to allot time for it basically. <laughs>
1: So after, uh, after Coeur d'Alene, then will it be Collins cup? Will that be the focus or will you be doing something? Yeah.
0: Before Collins cup? Uh, well, <laughs> I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to do an Xterra, but that's just purely for fun, for fun, uh, Good. purely for fun. And, uh, it's local. It's like a two hour drive Xterra yeah. Beaver Creek. I'm probably going to do that. But like, again, I, I don't really even consider it a race. I'm just doing it for the experience for to keep things light for a workout. Yeah. And yeah. then and then Collins Cup will be the big focus. And yeah, I mean, I'd like to say I can skip St. George and really focus on Collins Cup and Mail. I mean, because I'm going up against most likely I'm going up against Jan and Lionel. Right. So, yeah, you're like,
1: number one and they're number one
0: and they're number one. And especially now that they're having their big, you know, making espressos together and, and kissing each other on the cheeks. Um, I want to make sure that I show up and disrupt the t- party at Collins Cup. So uh, so I got to be fully dialed in for that.
1: Well, it's funny because that, 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 there's a little bit of pressure when it's just you and two other guys, right? It's not like there's a group of 50 pros and you can sort of hide somewhere. There's yeah. no hiding. When the television cameras are on and you've got, there's a, you know, a lot of, I think most of the money is up front, right? is it the, your ranking?
0: Yeah, it's all up front. It's 100% up front. But yeah, so technically you could show up and completely sandbag the thing, but it's going to be Daytona times five for me, right? I'm going up against Jan and Lionel. Everyone's going to say, "Oh, Sam's going to get beat by ten or fifteen minutes." So, so I I certainly cannot show up and, and be anything but my my best there. I don't think.
1: Yeah, and that's a toughie when you start talking about Coeur d'Alene, then uh, Collins Cup, then potentially St. George and Kona. It's
0: that's yeah,
1: it's going to the well a lot.
0: Yep, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so,
1: and yeah. with what is the dollars for being ranked number one by PTO going into for US going into? Uh, <laughs> Demarin.
0: I I haven't looked exactly, but I think it's like 30k, 40k, or something. I mean, it's it's a lot of money. So they do it. It's not actually based by country, it's based what you're ranked off overall. So okay, like so your fifth
1: ranking right now. Yeah. Wait, wait, if someone had told you a couple of years ago, yeah, top five in the world, it's me Jan Ferdano, Elsa Brownley, Lionel Sanders, Gustav Eden, and Sam Long.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Who's the brown shoe here? Who doesn't quite fit? Like that. <laughs> That would be me. But it's you, man. You are right there with the very yep. best in the world. And and talk a little bit about Ryan and, and how he's helped you get to this point.
0: Yeah, I mean, so so if people don't know, Coach Ryan Bolton, he's my coach. Um, he was one of the first Olympians uh, in triathlon. He went to the 2000 yes. Olympics. And then he started working as a coach after he got his master's in uh physiology basically and he started actually working with Kenyan runners um, out of Santa Fe so I mean he coaches the Boston Marathon champion but a whole number of other world-class marathoners and half marathoners and then he started to apply that more to triathlon and so we've seen people like Ben Hoffman um, who used to be a cyclist as well who's now really known as a runner and so two, three years ago, I started working with him because I was so fed up with people telling me like, oh, I'm only a only a cyclist. And basically what is a cyclist doing in, in triathlon? But I always knew I could run. And um, his approach of basically miles and consistency and, and neuromuscular work and just his whole foundation has really, it's transformed me into a runner as well as a cyclist while working on that swim. Um, and so it's helped me become a well-rounded athlete, but also like he's just got this absolute 100% belief in me as an athlete and that I can be the best. And, and so that's, I mean, he helped me rise to the occasion and it's not, he doesn't train me to be top 10 in the world. He's training me to be number one in the world and and he believes it. And and people, I think they sometimes look at how hard I train and how much I do and, and the commitment and the focus. And they're like, Oh, well, that's a lot for a 25 year old. And, And that's because Ryan expects great things of me as I do for myself. And so, so we commit to the process.
1: So I'm guessing one of the most fun things, because people never thought of you as a swimmer. When you come out of the water with guys who know that you're a better cyclist than them. (laughs) Yeah. Does that put a little bit of a smile on your face when the guys take a a quick look and then they do the double look like what the hell is he doing here?
0: Oh yeah. I mean, so St. George, it was amazing, right? Because I was, I was like 20 seconds. Uh, I was basically at the back of the main group. I lost them a little bit in the final, like 300 meters, but yeah. I came out and St. George, like you did this run where you ran that way and then back that way and then back into the transition. So they were all running back and they could see me like, you know, 15 seconds behind them. And I could just see the looks on people's faces like, oh, basically my, my race day, is over. My race is more or less over, you know? And especially because it was me and Lionel running right basically more or less right next to each other so they know what's about to come it's about to be a lionel and sam like showdown on the bike and um that's not fun if you're not a if you're not a strong cyclist so uh that yeah i mean it motivates me every day and i mean even at tulsa the course was yeah. legit and i and i swam fifty two twenty, um which is a pretty good or or it used to be yeah. you know it's not a bad iron man swim but uh Again, we're also seeing the swim get elevated, especially at that race with guys like Daniel Picard, right? He's a former national level swimmer and yep. Patrick Lang and, and Florian Anger. And so there were like five guys and they all swam 4730, um, which is just, I mean, you used to never see someone swim 4730, but now it's just, you know, 52 is not going to cut anymore. You got to be sub 50 um, if you want to be be competitive now. So I still have two minutes to get.
1: So Ironman Coeur d'Alene, it's another head-to-head with Lionel, right?
0: Yep. You know it. That's, I mean, that's a big reason I wanted to do it. I want, I want my redemption. And um, I also love the race. So it was, yeah. it was one of my last races as an age grouper um, in 2015. It was 106 degrees, and I won the overall amateur field. And, so, um, and then the race got discontinued as a full Ironman. So now it's come back. So I, like, I really want to go and do it.
1: And Lionel needs to qualify for Kona still.
0: Yep. And now he's got another ray, an I ran with Yawn apparently on, on July 18th. So
1: what the hell <laughs> do you feel? You know, it's funny. I think the, the video part of this has really gotten cool. Like you're building up a huge following Lionel's building up a huge following, but there's, to me, there's almost a little bit of a danger because nobody wants to, Hey, this is Lionel Sanders. I'm going to go for an easy jog. Nobody wants to watch that, right? They want to watch you guys burying yourself. Yeah. Is there a concern that you go to well too often, even in training, just to create great content?
0: Absolutely. And and early on when I started the video, especially like I, I sort of wanted to show off right on all the YouTubes and like, oh, let's do this epic session. And I would come up with even more epic sessions and and um, yeah, and it would get me to train. It, I mean, it was a motivating factor, but now it's like I try really, really hard to just be exactly myself and just do like exactly as my day would be yeah. in the YouTubes because otherwise like it can mess, it can mess up a race down the road or it can mess up a race in two weeks. And, um, but yeah, I think it's definitely a, a real variable that people have when you start YouTube that I, that I dealt with. Certainly.
1: Yeah. So with, uh, have you beaten Lionel yet?
0: No, I've never beaten him.
1: So you got a shot next weekend. We,
0: we got the video's done, Bob. You're, you're done. I'm not interviewing anymore with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now you get to take him down in Port Lane. I love it. Yeah, and yeah. and so you already have your spot in Kona. You got nothing to lose. This is your playing with the house money.
0: Uh, exactly. I got nothing to lose. I can go for broke. If I blow up, whatever, you know, it's, yeah. uh, it, it's a great time for me to test a, a whole number of things really. And, um, Yeah. I mean, also that's another reason to do another Ironman for me before. And I know it sounds crazy to do another Ironman before Kona, but like my nutrition plan just wasn't quite perfect at Tulsa. Um, I actually, I dealt with a lot of back pain, um, Mm. and, and we didn't really know why. So I've been kind of figuring out why, like, I think I might've been arching my back in the swim anyways, obviously I don't want to have severe back pain at Kona. So I've doubled down on PT exercises and, and hopefully my back pain is going to be gone. And then I like, no, okay, this is what I need to do in Tacona. So it's, it's really just an experimentation race for me. Love
1: it. Sam, as always, I always appreciate your time. It's always so much fun to chat with you. I just love the journey this last year watching you. You're, you're just so comfortable in your skin and you were, it used to be, I'm sure when you would read negative stuff, you're like, Oh my God, is that true? Now you're like, bring it on. All this stuff is fuel, man. Hate me, me, I don't care. Just spell my name right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, which is pretty easy because my whole name's uh, seven letters. First name, last name. (laughs) it's pretty easy too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Sam Long has been our guest, everybody. Sam, really appreciate the time and best of luck in Coeur d'Alene.
0: Yep, thank you so much, Bob.
1: Thanks everybody for tuning in. Breakfast with Bob, Not Quite Kona Edition. We'll catch you next time. See ya.